This message was recorded live at the Ark Church in Conroe, Texas. I moved to Texas 11 years ago because everybody knows things are bigger and better in Texas. I moved here to go to a Christian college in Dallas, and most Christian colleges across the United States have this phrase or this philosophy, and it goes like this, get a ring by spring or you get your money back. And I, um, you know, to be honest, I didn't really date my first two or three years of college. I don't know if it was because I couldn't get a date or what, but I was going for the perspective or I told myself that if I just held out a little bit longer, I'm going to get all my money back. And then one day I'm minding my complete own business and I'm walking down the sidewalk on our campus and I run into Courtney for the very first time. And the first thought that goes through my head is, there goes all my money. (laughs) And was I right or was I right? It was ring by spring, and I'd never got my money back. I should call him about that. And I I knew two things about Courtney at the time. The first thing I knew was this. She had recently become single, which was really good for me. The second thing I knew about Courtney was that she was funny. Now, this worried me because I'm really not that funny um, and a little straight-laced and a little stiff sometimes. And so I had to figure out how am I going to impress this girl who is way out of my league So I did what any desperate college boy would do. I hurried back to my dorm. I got on the internet, and for two and a half hours, I researched jokes. And when I found the one that I knew was sure to seal the deal, I got up, I took a shower, I combed my hair, put on some cologne, put on my nicest sweatpants, and I marched straight over to her dorm. And when the conversation went that way, I laid my joke out there. Lucky me, she burst out laughing. Oh, man, I was so sweating and nervous. I couldn't believe it. I'm like, yes, we can buy the ring now, baby. Here we go. And then the first thing out of her mouth was, what, did you, like, look that terrible joke up on the Internet? And my heart sank. In that moment, my heart sank because that was not the impression that I was going for. That is not the first impression that I was hoping to make on her. I had thought maybe my charming good looks and my wit might get me somewhere, but it didn't. To be honest, the only thing I had going for me in that season of my life was that I loved God. The only thing that I had going for me was the fact that she was impressed by the faith in my life. And it was working, so I went with it. You know, I've titled today's message, Impressive Faith. You know, that kind of faith that impresses the people you spend your time with. You know, in our relationships every day with our family and our friends and our coworkers, the people all around us, we make impressions all day long. Some impressions are really good. Some impressions, uh, maybe a little not so good. Others, worse. We've been in situations where maybe an impression somebody has made upon you has lasted for a long time. You remember the thing that your grandmother said to you. You remember the words of your neighbor as they invited you to church for the very first time. Their impression on your life left a lasting impact. Some impressions last for generations to come, while other generations don't see all the legacy that they had hoped to see. So what's the determining factor in the impressions that we make in our relationships? You know, I was, I was thinking about it. The number one influencer, I think, inside of most people's impressions that they make is the fact that we all have inside of us a need for attention, a need for attention. It's this desire inside of us that somebody might notice, 
Or maybe today somebody will listen to what I have to say. Or maybe somebody will pursue me or take an interest in me. And it's that influencer inside of us that drives our impressions being the need for attention. Um, Ad researchers for commercials say that the average human has an attention span of six and a half seconds. For reference, scientists have discovered that goldfish have an attention span of nine seconds. So congratulations. We're really moving up in the world. But with our attention spans decreasing and getting shorter and shorter, what we find is that it actually has created an increase in our need from attention in the people in our lives. With the distraction of our phones and things going on and 24-7 busy schedules, what we find is that we may not be getting all the satisfying or fulfilling needs met within some of our relationships. And so, I don't know about you, but around my house we call it the shock value approach. You know, it's what can I do that's big enough to catch your attention? What can I say that will spark something in you to pay attention, even if it is for only six and a half seconds? And we find ourselves in a world where impressions are being done one up from each other, one up and everybody around, a shock value approach to life. Or maybe it's our phones. We pull out our phones every minute or two to check or count how many likes we've received on social media or how many texts have come in. And we're constantly counting to see what kind of impression we've made on the people in our lives. And that stems from a need or a desire for attention. Another influencer in the impressions that we make, good or bad, on our family and friends, has to do with our, our, our desire to, to influence an outcome. Like our desire to change the results before they come in. If I can create an impression that's strong enough, maybe I can influence you to go on a date with me. If I could just be funny, it's every college boy going and looking up jokes on the internet. Why? Because he knows if he can alter the impression, he might get the results or the outcome that he's looking for. It's a businessman who says, hey, in order to win this deal or seal the deal, I might have to wine and dine him a little bit. That I might have to make a presentation that stands out a cut above the rest. Maybe dress to impress so that I can influence the outcome. It's every seven-year-old girl who knows just how to bat her eyes at daddy so she can get that dress that she really wants, right? We learn to tailor our impressions to get the outcome that we're looking for. But sometimes what we find if we're not careful, those inner influences can cause an impression that we actually hadn't hoped for. That, that if we're not careful, what we'll find is maybe sometimes when those two influencers are driving our impressions, we find that maybe our relationships are a little lacking, Maybe there's some relationship that you have that's not quite satisfying or, or ticking all the boxes or, or fulfilling everything you had hoped the relationship would give. And it leaves us with the question, what do we do then? How do we make an impression that makes a difference and, and lasts? You know, deep within inside all of us, I think, is this third influencer that God has wired in your heart. That God, from before time began, as he thought about your life, he created you with this desire, this longing deep inside your soul. If you can push past the need for attention, if we can push past the need or desire to influence the outcomes, what we find deep within our soul is a desire to make a difference in somebody's life. A wiring that says, man, I was made for more. I was made to do something. I don't know about you, but as I think about my life, I think, man, I want it to count. I don't want people to stand around at my funeral one day and say, man, he sure did play a lot of golf. I don't want people to stand around at your funeral and say, man, she sure made a great meatloaf. Right? There's, there's this impression we want to make a lasting impression on the world we live in. 
scientists and psychologists say actually that people who have this inner drive to, to live out their purpose and discover their purpose in life, that they are actually uh, stronger in their psychological health. They actually have a greater self-esteem. What they say, and research has, has shown, they've proven that the people who live for others are actually have a, a higher level of self-esteem. That people who are not focused on their own problems and worries and anxieties, but instead turn their attention to other people, scientifically and mathematically, have less time to worry about the problems of their own. So in turn, what we discover is that if we, if we reach deep down into our heart and our soul and we reach for that longing to impact the world around us, what we discover is that we make an impact on the people in our lives, not by what we get from them or the reaction we get from that post or from that laughter from the joke, but what we find is that when we make a difference in their life, it's an impression that lasts. It's an impression that makes a difference. There's a guy in the Bible we know him as the centurion in Matthew chapter 8. And what we learn about this guy is he had a servant in his home who needed healing. And, and, and instead of focusing on his own needs, he decided to do something about the situation at hand. In Matthew chapter 8, we pick up with this story here. It says, when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed and he's suffering terribly. Jesus said to him, shall I come and heal him? Excuse me. The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. Roof, yeah, roof. I'm from Missouri. It's not roof, people. It's roof. But just say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority. I know what it's like, he says. I have soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes, and that one, come, and he comes. I say to this servant, do this, and he does it. Y'all's kids need to hear this one? When Jesus heard this, he was amazed and said to those following him, truly I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. And then Jesus said to the centurion, go, let it be done for you just as you believed it would. And at that very moment, the Bible says, his servant was healed. I love this story. A centurion who had a need within his very own ranks in his very own home decided to take up the courage to do something for someone else. And I love the passage that it says, it says Jesus, okay, God of the universe was amazed by the faith of this man. Jesus had been to all the churches all over town. It says, within anyone in Israel have I not found such faith. Jesus had visited every church in town and said, I didn't see that kind of faith anywhere I went, but in you. A centurion, a guy who's outside of the faith, a guy who doesn't even go to church. Man, there's something about you that amazes me, Jesus says. And I read that passage and I think, how could Jesus be amazed? Other translations say that Jesus marveled, that he was impressed by this man's faith. And I, I, I think back to a time that reminds me a lot of this story. In 2008, when I lived in Dallas, President George Bush had just finished his term in office. Him and his wife, Laura, were building a house in the Dallas area, and when they were in town, they would come to the church that I was at. And uh, one weekend, my boss, she got up to share her story. It was Mother's Day weekend. And she got up to share the story of her life and some tragedies and things that she had been through. And she began to share as she had not only once but twice lost two children under the age of two. And she shared the story and the grief and the heartache that it brought to a mother's heart. 
She shared what it did to her family, what it caused and the pain and the turmoil and the tensions, the longing and the grief. But then she didn't stop there. She shared about what had happened to her, but went on to say, but God started to heal me. I started coming to church here, and the Lord started working in my life, and even though things didn't look good, and even though I didn't feel good, I chose to believe that things were going to get better for me, and what happened was God began to do a work on her from the inside out, where eventually her and her husband were able to adopt three children from Africa, and she shared about the life and the story of faith that they had together. That afternoon, she gets a knock on her front door. A man in a suit stood there holding a letter. Because if you're the president of the United States, you don't need the post office. And he opens up this letter and he gives it to her. And it was a handwritten note from President Bush. And in the note, it said these words. It said, I am so amazed and inspired by the level of faith you have. It inspires me to have more courage and faith in life. And I'm reading this note from her, from him, and I'm thinking, oh my goodness, How does the president of the United States, a man in one of the most powerful, influential positions in all the world, how does he be encouraged by the story of one woman? How is he encouraged and inspired by one person, the guy who stood at ground zero and had to lead a nation through a tragic and trying time, yet he still sees something that encourages him? He knows more information than probably any other leader in the world, and yet he still moved. How? He said it very clearly. I'm inspired by your faith. You see, because faith has the power to do something in our tragic situations. Faith has the ability to provide a hope that every human being was created and longs for, which, which taps in deep within your heart and your soul to that inner need to make an impression that says, there is hope even when life is not going the way I hoped. There is hope even in the tragic and, and trying situations of life. And what happens is when you believe and have faith like that, you begin to inspire and give hope to the people around you. That even in the greatest of tragedies, you go to work every day, they know your family. They know what's happened in your life. You shared it with them. And yet there's something different about you. And you remind them that even in the greatest of tragedies, there's still room for triumph. You remind them, they see you every day. They know your failures. They know your weaknesses. Yet there's something about you that impresses them because they see that you still have this bright and promise hope of a future in your life. We call that faith. We call that faith, that there's something inside of you that's stirred up, that impacts and makes an impression on the people in your life because you're willing to let your faith lift you up. You're willing to let your faith actually launch you out into your future, into a destination unknown that is altogether completely different than the tragic experiences of your life or the setbacks or the things that you have overcome. In other words, faith has the power to do one of two things. You get the choice. Faith has the power to limit you. In fact, the level of your faith can actually hold you down. We read about this in the book of uh, Mark chapter 6. Here's what it says. Jesus could not do any miracles. I've never read that in the Bible before. In fact, every time I've read Jesus, it said he did miracles. And here's what it says. He couldn't do any miracles except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. And he was amazed at their lack of faith. In other words, it's not that Jesus didn't have the power to do miracles. It's that when he walked in the room, the level of their faith kept him from doing miracles. 
The level of their faith actually determined the outcome of their future. It limited their future. So here's what Jesus knows. Jesus knows that if your faith isn't limiting you, it's going to launch you. And in Matthew chapter 9, we read a completely different story of two blind men. Matthew chapter 9, verse 28. When Jesus had gone indoors, the blind men came to him. And he asked them, do you believe that I am able to do this? And with the simple words of the blind man, they said, yes, Lord. Then Jesus touched their eyes and said, according to your faith, let it be done to you. And at that moment, their sight was restored. Two completely different stories, one limiting, one launching. And here's what we learn. We learn that the level of our faith actually impacts the quality of the impressions on the people we make in our lives. In other words, we're reading these stories 2,000 years later because of the level of faith that they had. We read the story of the centurion who marched over and had Jesus heal his servant. His level of faith so great that it made an impact that we're reading about today. So the question is, is the level of our faith limiting us or is it launching us? Because what happens is our faith, as it begins to launch us, people begin to look at our life and say, there's something different about you. I'll never forget, I was a senior in high school. We do the yearbook signing at the end of the year, and a girl came up to me. I'd never seen her. I'd seen her in the hallways. I'd never uh, gotten to know her or know her name, and she, she came up to me and said, will you sign my yearbook? And then she said something I'll never forget. She said, why are you always so happy? I'm like, huh? I'm like, is this a pickup line? Like, where are we going with this? She goes, no, no, you're just, why are you so happy? And in that moment, I realized something. I realized that when I have faith inside of me, it makes me stronger. When I have faith inside of me and I start walking down the halls of anywhere that I go, people look at your life and they say, whoa, there's something different about them. I knew where they came from. I I used to see where they were, but now look at them. There's just something different. And they may not be able to put their thumb on it, but they know because it has an impression on their life. So how do you make a positive impression on the people in your life? Your relationships at home and at work and with your friends or friends and relationships that have fallen apart, how do you make a positive impression? You begin to believe big things. You start believing big things in your life. Because Jesus knew something. Jesus knew that people who believed big things had the power to do big things. Had the power to overcome situations or circumstances that otherwise would have trapped and held people down. He knew that. And so what we have to do is begin to believe big things in our life. I know some of you guys in here were like, man, I thought you were going to, you know, give me tips on how to get my first date or, you know, get the job interview. I can't do that. I'm not, I'm not good there. But I can tell you this. The most attractive person in the room is the person who believes big things. No matter what room you walk into, you want the level of your relationships to increase. If you want to make an impression that matters and, and goes beyond the surface level into the depths of your heart, then you have to start believing big things. Because it's attractive. How do I know? You ever met somebody negative? Don't raise your hand. Put your hands down. You ever met somebody negative, critical, a naysayer, negative Nancy? Right? It's not a sexy look. But people who have a faith inside of them have a strength about them that looks good and it feels good. You know, as, as we think about this in our life, we have to remember that believing is seeing. In John chapter 20, verse 29, we read about the doubting Thomas. He came to Jesus, wasn't so sure about this whole faith thing. And in John 20, 29, because you have seen me, you have believed. This is Jesus talking. And he says, but blessed are those who have not seen, and yet they believe. 
In other words, he says, the greater your belief, the greater the things you're going to get to see. The people who are willing to believe things that other people aren't willing to believe get to see things that other people don't get to see. Why? Because believing is seeing. And Jesus himself said, blessing and favor follow people who believe without even seeing. In other words, you want to see the favor of God fall on your relationships and the impressions that you make on the people in your life. You want them to get healthier and stronger and your friendships to get stronger and your marriage to get stronger. Then the blessing and favor will follow when you begin to believe big things. What do you believe big things about? Start believing big things about God. Start believing big things about God. What do I mean? It's time to start believing that God is who he says he is. It's time for us to start believing that God can do the things in our life that he says you can do. Like we read about it in the Bible every week, but to know and believe that it's true for you. Psalm 119 verse 68 says, God, you are good and God, you do good. Which means this, even when things are not working out the way I wanted them to, even when I lost my job, even when our finances are in a mess, even when my children are straying far away from the Lord, I choose to believe big things about God. I don't turn my back on him and question him. I turn towards him and say, God, I believe as I have read and as it is written, your word is true and here's what it says, you are good. So I will hold on until I see good. I will hold on until I know for, for all, beyond all shadow of a doubt that my faith is welling up inside of me to know that you are good. And we begin to believe that God is who he says he is. We know that he's good. In turn, though, if we're gonna believe that God is who he says he is, it turns to us. We have to begin to believe big things about God, but we also have to begin to believe big things about ourselves. Why? Because if God is who he says he is, and he is, then that makes us who he says we are. In other words, the logic doesn't work for you to say, God, you are everything you say you are, but turn and say, but I'm not, I, I can't. God, I'm, I'm not good enough. God, I, I'm, I'm not going to be able Why? Because that's not what he says about you. And if what God says is true about him, then what he says about you is true too. And the last time I checked, I read in the Bible, there's a few passages in there just for you that say you're loved, that say you're cherished, that says that the God of the universe pursues you because he created and formed you, fearfully and wonderfully made, that you have a bright and a promising future, and that you are chosen royal priesthood set apart to do big things for him. And you read about that. Yeah? You like it when I talk sweet, right? <laughs> and when we start believing that we are who he says we are, it changes things. People in our life look and they see something different about you and they're attracted to it. If I'm going to believe he is who he says he is then, and I am who he says I am, then I have to stop believing the excuses that I make because I sure have a handful of them. Jeremiah chapter 1, here's the prophet Jeremiah. Before I formed you in the womb, God said, I knew you. This is God talking sweet to Jeremiah. Before you were born, I set you apart to do something great. I appointed you as a prophet. A prophet speaks to the nations. And the last sovereign Lord, Jeremiah says, he's saying, but God, I don't want to, right? He said, I do not know how to speak. I'm too young. But the Lord said to me, do not say I'm too young. You must go to everyone I send you to and say whatever I command you. Don't be afraid of them for I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. In other words, God said, Jeremiah, I got a lot of things to say about you, and they're good. But then don't turn around and make an excuse and say, I'm too young. 
I, I can't, God. There's, I, don't, I don't know what to say. I'm, I'm not a speech giver. I, I don't know how to do this. How am I going to talk to my neighbor? I don't know what I'm going to say. I don't know all the answers to the questions. I haven't even read the whole Bible. And God says, no, no, no. Stop saying you're too young. Stop saying you're too old that no one will listen to you. Stop saying that you can't and start believing that you can do everything I've already told you to do. And what happens is we, we got to realize this. In our life, there are influences and impressions made on you every single day that love to tell you all the things that you can't do. All the things that you can't do. You see where they came from. You see how much money they don't have. You see the kind of life that they live. You've seen the things that they've done and the places they've been. There's no way. We live in a world that loves to tell you all the things you can't do. The last thing we need is a voice inside of our head, our own, telling us we can't when God clearly says that we can. We can't make excuses and we have to know this because sometimes what happens, I know you're like, Clayton, you're just standing on the stage. You don't, you don't know me. You don't know my life. You don't know the things I've said. You don't know what it was like on the car ride here. You know how mad my wife and I were fighting? Yeah, it's happened before. God, Clayton, you, you don't even know the things that I've done or the things that I've said or the pain that I've caused in my family. It's not possible. Let me tell you something. Here's the deal. The things that you often think disqualify you in your life are actually the things that God uses to qualify you to do big things. In other words, Colossians chapter 1 says, Give joyful thanks to the Father because he has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. In other words, the things that you think put you on the bench, the things that you think take you out of the race are actually the very things that God can use to do big things in your life. And when you start believing that, that God is big and that he can use you to do great things, what happens is it's a natural overflow of your heart. You can't help it. You just start doing big things in the little things of everyday life. The centurion, he believed God could do what he said he could do. Centurion knew his role. He knew that he didn't even have to tell his soldiers. He didn't have to go tell. All he had to do was say the word and it would happen. And Centurion believes that. And what happens is a man is healed on that spot. And if it's true for him, it's true for us. We begin to believe the things that God says about himself and the things that God says about us. We go into our work every day. And people notice. We're not looking for somebody to listen to us because we're listening to them. We're not looking for somebody to give us a handout because our hand is extended out to them. We become generous. We give. We serve with our time every moment we can get. Why? Because we know something. Our impression matters. If God has made an impression on your life, then it's time for us to make an impression on the world he created. James chapter 2 says this. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but doesn't have any deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. Some will say to you, you have faith and I have deeds, but show me your faith without your deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. What happens? We believe God is big. We believe that we are who he says we are. And what happens is we can't help it. We just start doing big things with our life in the little things of everyday life. I'll never forget when I was in high school, I went to a Christian concert with some friends. It was in downtown Kansas City. The girls took too long putting on their makeup, you know. So we were late, very late. We pulled into downtown Kansas City and there was no parking and so we had to find a dark alley. Of course, the only dark alley in the city and we parked in the middle of it. 
I remember parking in that alley, closing the doors, locking the, you know, locking the car, and the girls being like, oh, keep us safe. And I'm like, keep me safe. <laughs> Walking down the dark alley, we walk into the Christian concert, and as I round the corner, we're late. I did what men like to do. I looked at my watch. I knew we were late. And then I saw a man sitting on a bench, and as I approached him to walk by, he stood up. And he looked at me square in the eyes, and you know it's the kind of look that says, I need something. The kind of look that says, please help me or do something. But I was embarrassed. I didn't know what to do. I, I wasn't believing big things in the moment. I was only concerned with what I had to do, and I was late. So I walked right on by, and I walked right into that Christian concert with 2,000 other Christians sitting in there. And I worshiped God, but the whole time, all I could do was think about the guy that was sitting on the bench. And I remember the Lord just working in my heart thinking, how could, I, how could I be in here going like this when out there I'm not going like this? And when we walked out, we were met by emergency lights flashing all around. And the entire street was roped off with crime scene tape. And when I walked up to the, the tape, our car was inside there. So I asked the police officer, will you please let us go get to our car? And he walked us right through the middle of it as if it had happened I, I walked right by the place where the bench was sitting. And in that place, you could tell that there had been a very bad accident. And in fact, the next day I got on the news and I read a report that the man who was sitting on the bench had been hit by a car and he passed away. And I remember in that moment sitting in my car and a song, an old song by Stephen Curtis Chapman came on that said, I saw the face of Jesus. And I, I sat in my car and I thought about that moment. And I thought, what if... What if I would have believed that God was big? What if I would have believed that he could use me? What if I would have believed all the things that I worshiped him for were true in my life? What kind of impression could I have made in the final hours of a man I didn't even know? And I didn't let it get me down, you know, because here's the thing. I let it be the fuel that keeps me going. The fuel that says, I won't be caught in that situation again. I'll take the little moments of everyday life and turn them into big opportunities that God can use to make an impression on a hurting and a dying and a lonely, pain-filled world. And we all have the same choice in our lives. You want your relationships to get better? Your marriage with your spouse, your kids, your family, your neighbors? Then start believing big. And what you'll find is that in time, you start doing things you didn't even know you could do. Matthew chapter 5 says, you're the light of the world, a city set on a hill that can't be hidden. People don't light a lamp and put it under a basket, but they let it shine. In order, the Bible says that it may let people look at it and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. And that can be true of us. Let's pray. God, I thank you that you are good. I thank you that you are big. And I thank you that you can do all the things that you say you can do. God, I thank you that... You spent time when you made every person in this room. You thought about them. You thought about the impression and the impact that they could have on this world. And Lord, I pray for them right now in this moment to know, to have the faith to believe that you're going to use them. To have the faith to believe that you can work miracles in and through their lives every single day in all the little areas. If you came in here this morning, we always do this at the Ark because we believe it is the best thing you could ever do. We give you a chance. If you've never said yes to Jesus, maybe, maybe you've never said yes because you never had the chance or maybe you didn't believe big enough, we want to give you the chance this morning to say yes to Jesus. 
Maybe you've been far away from the Lord and you're like, you know what, it's time for me to come back. It's time for me to, to get where I need to be and begin believing that God can do something in my life. If that's you this morning, every head is bowed and every eye is closed. We're not going to call you out or embarrass you in any way. Would you just slip your hand up because we want to pray for you right now. Thank you. I see your hand. Thank you. I see you in the back. Thank you. When the Lord sees your hand, I want you to know that he's proud of you. We're going to pray this prayer together. Dear God, I know mankind needs a savior. And I know I can't save myself. Jesus, I believe you're the son of God. I believe you died on the cross for my sins. And that God raised you from the dead. And right now, I confess you as my Lord and as my Savior, as the one who forgives me and restores me. Thank you, Jesus. My past is forgiven, and I have a relationship with you. I'm a new creation because I've said yes to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this message. For more about The Ark, visit thearkchurch.com.